Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. What's up, Prosperity peeps? I hope you know how much I love you. <laughs> and I'm demonstrating it because it's late Saturday night. I've been flying all day back from the left coast to the right coast. I have two softball games in the morning. Uh, I'm exhausted and ready for bed, but I need to record this so that Josh has a chance to get it all edited and downloaded for you on Monday. So because I love you so much, and it's the playoffs for baseball, the postseason. So I have turned down all of the sound on my amp in my speaker system and just have the TV on mute so <laughs> I can keep pace with what's going on but still get you this show as promised because this is the world-famous award-winning uh, crowd favorite ask me anything episode number two um, and ask me anything probably isn't the correct um, label because I did get some questions about uh, building a direct selling team and how often you hold meetings and things and that really doesn't apply in this venue for uh, so really you know if you got questions like that ask me on the direct selling daily the Facebook page um, and I'm going to keep this topic to just principles of prosperity and success so that it applies to everybody who's listening so, um, first question out of the gate comes from John, and he wants to know, have you ever used affirmations in your journey? And if so, are you familiar with Noah, St. John, and affirmations? Example, affirmation, I am wealthy. Affirmation, why am I wealthy? I've found them to be transformative and wanted your feedback. Um, I really believe in affirmations. Uh, the reason I'm a big fan of affirmations is because I believe you're programming your subconscious mind when you do them. And the more impressions we make on our subconscious mind, uh, the stronger the programming is going to be. So uh, we're really... Uh, um, anything that does those impressions, I want to do more and more of. So I'm a big believer in the affirmations. Uh, the affirmations, uh, I remember hearing about them a while back, but I, I didn't really, I don't know enough about them. The, um, the example you sent, why am I wealthy? I like that line of thinking. I, I always want to question the premise. I always think the questions are more important than the answers. Um, so it, they, the affirmation thing, affirmation thing sounds intriguing, but um, I don't really have an experience with it. He's also curious, have you ever been one to write goals down consistent, consistently? I'd love your feedback on that. Uh, da, 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 I've been a fan for over a day. Okay, so um, yes, I do. I, I, I guess I really started it hmm, probably when I was 20. 
21 and that's when I was just first getting exposed to this idea of self-development uh, Zig Ziglar Norman Vincent Peale Robert Schuller um, as a man thinketh, those were my early influences because I knew nothing of self-development, personal growth for the first 20 years of my life. Uh, but when I got involved in direct selling, um, that's a big part of the culture that everybody listened to a lot of uh, audios and, and bought a lot of self-development books. I didn't even know those kind of books existed. So a lot of them uh, did the write your goals down thing. Um, and I did them for many years. I don't uh, really write my goals down anymore because I've uh, segued over to a prosperity manifestation map, just which I've talked about on other shows. Uh, you know, big poster board, and you just put images of things you want to do, have, and become on them. And just like affirmations, Every time you walk by that board, I think even when it's um, in your peripheral vision, um, if one of the things is, like I wanted to write a New York Times best-selling book. So on my prosperity map, I cut out the uh, New York Times uh, bestseller list and then I put my name on it um, and just put it on my dream board, my prosperity map. And again, I just, every time I walk by, of course, I knew, my subconscious mind knew what that image signified. And then, of course, I became a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, and, um, and a lot of other things. Um, so the, the prosperity board is really like writing your goals down, and it's like affirmations. All right, next one is from Peter. Uh, I believe in your early years of prosperity, you were centered in abundance and working diligently to think more of and about prosperity than not. Would you ever say, we're, well, let me just, okay. Would you say you were ever centered in God's creative power? Was that ever an anchor of affirmation for you? Um, okay, so full disclosure for anyone breaking news who doesn't know, I am an atheist. If you haven't been reading my blog all the last week and this week, you've got to read the blog on randygage.com because I've been doing a whole series of posts on um, whether God exists and organized religion and why I think organized religion is such a... Uh, anti-prosperity force in the world um, but uh, for I was a lay minister at my church for more than 20 years so I did believe in God for uh, for about 20 years a little more than 20 years I started off as an atheist uh, agnostic uh, I really I, I joke around at my real label the fundamentalist agnostic um, so that was my early years. Then I uh, believed in a, a supernatural creator for a couple of decades. And then when I went on my sabbatical, that was one of the, the thing areas I really did a lot of introspection and study on, studying all the major religions of the world for uh, you know a couple of years. 
and came to the conclusion that uh, I couldn't be a rational person and believe in God and all of these, um, you know, basically Stone Age sky god superstitions is how I view organized. So, uh, but there was a time I would have said I was centered in God's creative power. Um, and if you ask me today, I would say that I'm centered in the creative power of the universe, that uh, I'm circulating prosperity, and because of that, I'm uh, manifesting prosperity. All right, next one from Pratik. Hi, Randy, I would like you to answer the question, how to overcome complacency in life and what to do when you feel complacent? Pratik, uh, good question. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer this, but I'm going to take a shot in the hopes that I am. Why I say I'm not sure if I'm qualified to, to, to answer that is because I don't experience complacency. <laughs> I never feel complacent, okay? Uh, I just don't. I'm driven. I have such a, a vision for, and I think it comes from that. So that would be the, 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 the big part of the answer is, uh, if you have a vision that's uh, sticky enough, compelling enough, meaning a vision that pulls you toward it, I don't think you can get complacent. Now, I can get overwhelmed and I think some of you may uh, confuse being overwhelmed with being complacent. Sometimes I've just, I've taken on so many things that I'm just overwhelmed. I have books on deadline for books and uh, projects I'm doing with the consulting clients and you know my blog and my podcast and this and that and personal stuff. And I just feel like totally overwhelmed. Um, and then I just stop and organize. What I find is usually that means my desk is stacked with stuff. My email is stacked with stuff. You know, I've just got all of these things in the middle. So I say, okay, that's it. I'm not working on anything else until I do my to-do priority list. And I just start taking stuff off my desk and putting it in piles on the floor folders, papers, books, articles, notes, uh, whatever they might be. Uh, and so every project gets a pile on the floor. So I might end up with 22 uh, stacks of things on the floor that I need to do. And then I just put them all on the list. Okay, so now I know what the issue is. I've got 22 things that I need to do and I'm gonna number them, I'm gonna prioritize them. What do I, you know, what's the rainmaker activity? The stuff I need to do right now to make my living. What is the really important personal stuff that I need to do to make sure that uh, I'm in integrity with my relationships and the people I care about and I'm taking care of them. And I literally number them from one to 22 and then approach it that way. And that gets me in a groove because uh, I can stack up all of those uh, 22 things in those 
you know, divider trays you get at uh, the office supply store, and uh, I just work from my list. So that works for me. Uh, all right, so the next one is from Wesley Percival Hawthorne Harrison Linden III in London, also known as West Linden, who says, how do you remove the people who provide negative input and energy into your life? Um, so here's a trick answer for you, Wes. I don't remove all of the people who provide negative input in my life. Let me give you an example. Um, so I have been living left coast, west coast, uh, you know, uh, Australia, uh, California, and Florida. Those three places off and on for the last uh, eight, nine years. And so sometimes I'm playing softball, sometimes I'm not. When I was in Australia, I wasn't playing softball. But when I've been here stateside, I've been playing softball. And so I spent some time, so I was in San Diego for playing the leagues there. Uh, then I decided, okay, I wanted to play in the uh, Miami League. I was going to be back because I like to spend the, the goal is to spend the summers in San Diego and the rest of the year in Florida after I, I, I got rid of my apartment in Sydney. Uh, it was just those two. So I emailed, picked up with a team, uh, and they were having a tryout for, uh, you know, practice and, you know, that next Saturday or whatever. So I said, okay, I'm going to fly in for that. So on Monday, I get like pneumonia and I'm just, you know, horrific. Um, so I'm dying of pneumonia all week and, uh, Friday, I fly out to Florida anyway because I want to be in the practice and meet the guys on the new team or whatever. And I tell the coach, listen, I just let you know what you, I will only be better than what you see today because I've been fighting pneumonia, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, I don't, I think he, I don't know how he took that. I don't think he believed it. Right, so then I go back to Florida, and there's another practice a week or two later. I think it's a week later. So I go back to California, rather. So now I'm flying back to Florida for the second practice. I've got the last flight out. I'm supposed to land in Miami at almost midnight. Uh, well, of course, there's a mechanical with the plane. So I get to Atlanta, that's when I'm supposed to change planes, there's a mechanical on the next plane. The plane gets canceled. But they keep dragging it out. We're supposed to leave, I'm waiting in the lounge, we're supposed to leave, I'm waiting at the gate, I'm waiting, so it's, you know, midnight, one in the morning. So finally, like one in the morning, they say, okay, the flight is canceled. Um, you know, we got your hotel, they put me in a just, flea bag hotel near the airport um, and uh, in a double room, smoking room, you know, reeks of mold and cigarettes and my allergies are bugging me. It's freezing, by the way, in uh, Atlanta. It was probably uh, late fall or early spring, I don't remember, but it was really cold in Atlanta. I didn't even have a jacket. I didn't have a sweatshirt. 
because I was flying from San Diego to Miami. There were, you know, I didn't think I needed. So I'm like waiting for the, the Uber or the taxi, whatever it was, to, or the shuttle to take me to this hotel. And, there, and I'm freezing and I'm just getting over pneumonia. And um, so I get like two hours sleep. And again, you know, uh, so I get like a 6 a.m. flight to Miami, uh, get here at eight, you know, run in, grab uh, my stuff, uh, jump in the car, drive up to Fort Lauderdale, go to the practice. And I tell the coach again, you know, listen, I'm not. So I'm taking grounders and I'm not playing that well. Um, and so he makes a decision. It, it's a, uh, a, a 50 plus, you know, it was a, a, a master's division, the 50 plus league. Um, and you know, people at a certain age, they make up their minds on things and they don't necessarily change them. So this coach decided, okay, this guy's not really good. I can't play him at the pressure positions like in the infield. So I can have him DH, I can have him be the catcher, I can have him do stuff like that. So I'm like, whatever. So I play with the team that season, we go to the World Series and we win the World Series. Um, and I play well, but you know, I, I know he doesn't believe that I'm all that capable. Um, so I, then I go back the summer, I play in San Diego, everything's fine, I'm playing great. I have a coach there who thinks this guy is the stud because I'm the cleanup hitter, I'm bopping home runs, I'm playing shortstop or I'm playing center field. Right, and so, and I know this is a long story, but I just think it, it really has a payoff for you. Because here's the thing, so I do it. So now, fast forward to now, today, present moment, I'm coming back to Florida again a couple of weeks ago, and I email the league, and I say, hey, put me on the pickup list, I'm looking for a team. So this coach that I'm talking about emails me, hey, I saw your post, you know, um, but, you know, you can't really play in that division. I think you should play in the lower division. I'm like, uh, no, you know, actually I'm a lot healthier now. I'm feeling great. I'm playing great. I've been playing in San Diego. And he said, ah, you know, I hate to see you get your hopes up. And if you play in the higher division, you know, you're, I just don't think you're going to get a lot of at-bats. And um, so he's really trying to talk me out of it. And, and so... He's like, I'm trying not to hurt your feelings or something, you know, and I told him, listen, you're a good coach. It's your job to tell me what you believe are my honest, realistic abilities. That's your job as a coach, and you're a great coach. And my job is to challenge myself to play in the highest possible division and do the best I can. And uh, so I've been back two weeks and I'm playing like I'm 20. I'm, I'm playing better than I would have played when I was 20. I mean, I've just been killing it, right? So the thing is, I, I get that. There, there are people who, because he's not trying to be negative to me, he's trying to protect me. And here's the thing. When your parents say you're a, a woman and they say, well, why would you want to be a doctor? You know, most women are nurses. They're not saying that to be negative to you. They're, you know, or when you say you want to 
study art or you want to be a dancer or you want to be a rapper and they say yeah but how are you going to pay for groceries they're not trying to be negative they're trying to be helpful for you right um so let's know that that there are people and i value people in my life who tell me things i don't want to hear so never lose sight of it because the you know if if you if you don't give people permission to tell you the truth you just get in a bubble and then you end up like uh donald trump where you just have the sycophants around you who just tell you what you want to hear and uh, all day long and, and 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 you lose touch with reality right so it's important that now and I know that's not what Wes is getting at. When he asks this question, he's talking about there are people who really are just negative, right? Whether they are um, doing it consciously or they're doing it unconsciously or subconsciously or uh, if they secretly want good for you or sometimes they secretly want bad for you. Sometimes they want bad things for you and they don't even know that they want bad things for you because it's just petty jealousy. Um, so, uh, back to his question, which, you know, where I think he wants to go with it is, I, I feel like there are people that I just have to ration the time with, particularly if they're relatives. You know, you may have to, um, you just feel like I'm in a, you're in a situation where you cannot get away from those people. You're going to have to see them at Thanksgiving and Christmas or Hanukkah or Ramadan or, you know, whatever. Um, but I do think you can be mindful of the time you spend with them and you can reprogram yourself with positive programming afterward. There are some people that literally, if you spend an hour with them, you need six hours worth of positive programming to counteract the hour you spent with them. I mean, that's just that way. Um, now, if they're not related to them, you're not married to them, you're not working in a job in the cubicle next door to them, and you have the option to remove them from your life, I, I just do it. And I don't, you know, I don't say, listen, I'm removing you from my life. Usually, I just remove them from my life. And then if they, and sometimes, as often the case, they say, well, how come you don't call me anymore? How come you don't want to go out anymore? How come you don't want to hang out anymore? Then I, I just, you know, I choose the honesty approach. I, and, and there are some people that I tell them I'm breaking up with them. And I just say, you know, I have decided that I just don't like the way I am when I'm influenced with you. And I feel like you're negative mindset and your negative beliefs have a limiting effect on me and so I'm going to remove myself from your orbit. And I've had three or four people that I've told that to. Uh, particularly, a uh, good example was uh, drugs, right? When I got clean and sober, I had to tell people, you know what, I'm sorry, you're a trigger to me because we did, you know, I had you know, my, my, you know, I had the people that I did crystal meth with and, you know, I cannot have those people in my life because it's just too dangerous for me. And I told them that right up front. I'm sorry. 
I've made a choice to become sober and clean and I'm not that person anymore and I'm sorry I cannot hang out with you anymore. Great question, Wesley. Uh, all right, so Payam asks, uh, what is the best way to get rid of the stress? And I'm, I'm really one of the most low-stress people you'll ever meet. But there was a time, particularly I'm thinking of um, in my 30s when I was really struggling financially and had my restaurant seized and I owed all that money and I was selling my furniture and sleeping on the floor. I had some really high stress times in my life. And it was something I read. They said, the best way to relieve stress is exercise. And I found that to be true, is just go out and really get the, your heart rate going, the blood pumping, your breathing heavy, your heart pumping, and it really does uh, reduce the stress. And I think I'm, I have such a, a low stress life now because I do you know, daily exercise. I do cardio every day and I do resistance training every day. And um, that helps me. And then I just, uh, the other, I, I guess, thing I would say is, is I've studied a lot of Stoicism, the Stoic philosophy. Um, and I found that really helpful as well. And um, there's a new book out, which I mentioned a couple of episodes ago. Uh, Ryan Holiday has a new book out, um, Stillness is the Key. And it's actually uh, the third part of the series. One is Ego is the Enemy, I think, and the other one is Something is the Way. But Google them, Ryan Holiday. Uh, those three books have a lot about Stoicism. Uh, and if you haven't got the new one yet, I told you about it a couple episodes ago, grab it. It's really good. I found it really impactful for my life right now. And I think you will see that book will be really helpful for you, uh, uh, given getting rid of excess stress. All right, the next one is from Jeff, Jeff Atherton, who says, what is the average airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow. So <laughs> you guys didn't catch that. He said, what is the average airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Now, if I wanted to be appear really cool and hip, I would answer, what do you mean? An African swallow or a European swallow? But if I'm being totally honest here, <laughs> I, had, I had to Google it because I knew that had to be some pop culture something, and it turns out it's a Monty Python thing. And I don't know why. I, you know, I, I've seen the Python stuff, and it looks uh, witty and charming, but I'm just not a big... Uh, I, I just haven't seen a bunch of their stuff, so I'm not that familiar with them. So you almost got me with that one. Um, oh, what was the personal one? Okay, <laughs> yeah, while we're on the subject of being hip and trendy, somebody asked five sauce or one D, which of course for the everybody over the age of 
20, what that means is five, they're boy bands, five seconds of summer is five sauce, and one D, of course, is one direction. So uh, I'm not a big boy fan devotee, but if I had to pick a boy band, I would pick the Philharmonic, which is actually a group of Filipino guys who sing a cappella and they're freaking amazing. Um, and I gotta say, you know, the, the, the whole, I don't know what was, New Kids or, uh, of course, Menudo was the first big one in Latin America. Here in the Gringo Land, I don't know if it was New Kids or, uh, you know, the, uh, you count the Osmonds or the Jackson Five, or I don't know what you call it, the, the, who would be the first, uh, boy, what was the other one with, um, uh, not New Kids, but the ones with uh, Justin, uh, with Justin, what's his name? That, you know, that, that group, I, what's his, his name? Anyway, he's got mad talent. Uh, it'll come to me. But the, the point I was going to say about this is, in, in all seriousness, um, the Five Sauce Kids, they play their own instrument. I think they got talent. And the 1D group, now that they kind of broke up and they're doing their individual stuff and, and they're out of that boy band mold, they are showing they have mad, mad talent. These are not some, uh, you know, pretty boy, boy band guys who lip sync songs to, and look cute. I mean, they really have talent. So, um, I'm impressed with them. All right. So Hirsch asks, we're down to the last two. Hirsch wants to know one step to shift, shift from guilt, resentment, victimness to hope, excitement, and victor mindset. How do you assess and then drag yourself out of it? I think it's just crossing one mental barrier. How? Um, it is it is just crossing one mental barrier. I really do believe that. Um, I think it's, it's, it, it always, and you hear me say it a lot, it, it always comes down to that choice. Do you want to be a victim or do you want to be a victor? And for the first 30 years of my life, every time a calamity, drama, trauma happened for me, uh, I would revel in that and I would look for that. I would show and bitch and moan and complain and tell everybody in my world how this uh, demonstrated how I was the innocent victim of so much bad luck, so much <clears throat> uh, of the world trying to hold me down. And that culminated when, when I had the second restaurant lost and, you know, took in away and I'm uh, teetering on bankruptcy and selling the furniture and all of that stuff. And I just say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be a victim anymore. And I started to, and I was really strong in self-development at that point. And, um, I think what that self-development work did was it, it led me to the study and the introspection 
to find the emotional payoff that I was getting from being a victim. The, the, and, and to discover the fact that I was reveling in this victimhood because I had such low self-esteem and I was desperately trying to feel worthy. So I felt so worthless that I actually manufactured or, and attracted worse, bigger challenges, which gave me a more heroic hero's journey song that made me feel more worthy because I was overcoming so much stuff. And I recognize that once you recognize the pattern and realize what you're doing, that's when the big breakthrough is. Um, so that's my thoughts on that. And then finally from Toth, he wants to know, what's your number one success habit? And uh, Toth, you know me, if I'm saying if you ask the wrong question, then the answer doesn't matter. And I... I, you know, I could try to pick my number one success habit, but I think that would do a disservice to you and me and and everybody listening because um, I don't think that's the right question. The, the the better question is, what are the habits that have contributed most to your success? That's where I'd rather go with this, because there's four or five at least that that I I cannot be without. I will not be without. I will not go a few days without doing these habits. So habit number one is sleep. I give myself enough sleep. I have set up my life so that I do not use an alarm clock. I wake up when my body is finished sleeping and it has rested and rejuvenated itself. Another success habit is I eat and drink healthy. Um, and I mean, I, I have pizza, I have ice cream, I have cookies. All right, I'm not a monk. I, I eat all kind of stuff, but the overwhelming majority of my diet is fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, uh, healthy protein, high protein, low carb diet. I drink gallons of water every day. Um, I don't drink a lot of sugary sodas and juices. Um, I have some natural uh, drinks that I drink for all my workouts and all my sports, which are uh, total clean label, no uh, additives, no sugar. They're naturally sweetened with stevia. Um, so I'm, I, I mean, I'm giving my body uh, good uh, nutrition, which gives me good energy. I spend day, I exercise every day. That, as I mentioned, that would be another one that 
Um, you want to have clear mind? You better have your blood pumping. You better have clean blood. You better have be sucking in a lot of fresh air, right? Uh, um, breathing, you know, exercising, cardio. Um, so exercise is a, another one of those vital ones. And then the daily self-development time. Um, that is, again, I just, I can't even imagine going without that. So I'm a voracious reader. Um, uh, I just sold my place in San Diego, and, and, and I did this again. I did this with my South Beach place. Uh, you know, I was talking to the buyer, and they made me an offer, and I said, you know, if you're interested, and they loved the way I had the apartment decorated, and just like the, the buyer in South Beach did, and, and I said, listen, if you love everything, and you know, give me X amount more, and just bring your toothbrush. I will sell you the place fully furnished. Um, the only thing, there's some artwork that I, you know, have to take with me, and there's some personal books, right? I have, you know, autographed books from, you know, I have a first edition Ayn Rand, uh, um, Atlas Shrugged, and uh, autographed, a lot of books autographed by the authors and kind of collector's edition stuff. So, you know, some of the books in that, and that's it. So I left, um a bookcase full of uh, I don't know thousand books or whatever um, and I have no problem with that uh, you know I'm not about libraries at one point I thought okay I'm gonna have the biggest library because that's what Jim Rohn said and, and I just realized you know I don't need 50,000 books that I've read once or uh, you know books I read 10 years ago 20 years ago I don't need to impress people with my library um, there's any, you know, sometimes there's a book I read 20 years ago and I'll buy it again. Okay, I don't care. But like when I sold the, the, the fir first time I moved from South Beach, I gave away 55 boxes of books. Big boxes. 55 boxes of books to the library. And then the next time I sold the, the other place in South Beach, I just sold it with the furniture and the library. And now the San Diego place, I sold it with the bookcase and all the books in there, except for the ones I mentioned. Um, because I'm a voracious leader. I don't need 50,000, because I buy four books a week, five books a week. I have all, like, you know, I always have 25 books stacked around me that I haven't read yet that I desperately want to get to. So I read a lot, and I'm big on podcasts. I like to listen to podcasts. So I used to do only music when I did my cardio. Now I only do podcasts when I'm listening to my cardio. Um, so uh, the self-development is a big, big thing. Um, and so those would be the habits. Um, and one more I'm going to put in there is just truth-telling. I mean, I have honest relationships with people. Every, I'm on board of directors, I'm on committees, I have you know, romantic relationships, I have friendships, I have sports, you know, team relationships, and in all of those venues, they would say, God, Gage, he, he's, he's pretty brutal, he tells it straight, man, he doesn't pull any punches, you know. I love the way you think, you know, God, Gage, I never met anyone like, who talks like you, just talks about the elephant in the room and puts everything in the open and 
I just believe in that. I, I, you know, if you want to have real relationships, you got to be real with people. So that that comes from integrity. So that one of my habits is I don't pander to people. I don't tell them things they want to hear. I tell them my truth as I know it, and to get close to me, to stay in my orbit, you've got to tell me your truth as you know it. Um, and by doing that, I'm, I'm surrounding myself with people that continually challenge me and cause me to grow. Um, so that's what I'm thinking, Toth. I hope you found that helpful. Uh, hope you all found all of this helpful. So, but let me know. Hit me up on the Twitter thing and say hi. And let me know what you think. Uh, please rate and share the podcast. Tell your friends about uh, the Power Prosperity Podcast. And go out there and be amazing. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.